Welcome back, everyone, to another new episode of Grow Your Path to Wellness. Um, if you're new here, Amanda and I, we host a new wellness guest and release a new episode every Sunday. Speech, be sure to subscribe, like, follow. We always welcome comments and share with loved ones so you don't miss out on new episodes. So last week, we welcomed uh, Christine Fenrick, also known as the Trauma Lady on one of our favorite platforms, TikTok. And she joined us and we talked all about the role of peer support groups, the difference between those and some other types of groups, and the overall benefits of having a sense of community when healing from trauma. This week, we welcome back Lisa Schaefer for our second episode, right guys, of our heal trauma healing and chakra series. So today we are going to be covering all things, I say sacral, correct me if I'm wrong, Lisa. she's muted it's okay you're still muted it's all right never mind <laughs> but I say sacral as long as we're fine with, with that but um welcome back Lisa we're happy to always have you back of course but so yeah guys you threw me all off just continue it's okay I'll cut that part out Lisa, welcome back. It's our second episode of the series. We have what? How many chakras? I've I never, there's seven, right? Okay, so two of two of seven. We're on two. Am I unmuted yet? Yeah, yeah you're unmuted. Okay. You no. Know. Oh, no. Now I can't back. It's fine. <laughs> trying to be all respectful and mute myself, and then I can't get it undone. Oh, welcome um, back. Yeah, sacral chakra and, and um, you know, chakra is the more appropriate way to say it. Um, and, you know, I have practiced and been practicing uh, to say it in the correct uh, dialect and diction. So, yeah, um, lots of really great stuff as I was going through and kind of looking at how um we're gonna kind of un you know unfold all of the things that are trauma in the sacral chakra um you know i i don't think a lot of people really realize how much our emotional self resides in our physical self and i know the three of us do because we have been you know not only through school but we are in the mindset of trauma-informed work. And it's not just knowing that clients have trauma, it's working with clients so that we're not re-traumatizing them and that we are able to help them find <clears throat> peace and possibly solution or resolution um, in their trauma work. Um, and so I think that's why it's really important um, when we're looking at mind-body to discuss how all of this really does go together. And I know we've said before, it's a little woo-woo, um, and some people might not necessarily look at how this energy work is part of trauma healing. Um, however, it, it's 100% connected. And I think, yeah, uh, I saw... I saw another mental health therapist TikTok the other day, and it was something along the lines that when you were talking about, um, you know, we know about it because not only our schooling, we're trauma-informed, but also I think the three of us are, if I can say that for us, pretty committed to our own healing journey. Um, and it's funny, I her TikTok said something along the lines of, like, I don't make room for people that aren't in that mindset, right? Like, do you? No judgment. It is what it is, but, like, I'm on this track to healing, and if you're not on the train, like, sorry, I'm leaving the station. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I think, you know, in terms of, like, laws of attraction, you know, you're going to pull people who are having that same vibe as you. And, you know, I, I laugh because, um, you know, being here with you, Amanda, is, is really my own manifestation like it it's it's crazy how this all has worked out and it's because I met you one time and I was like yep that's the girl like I totally got it like a 
<clears throat> cool person vibe and and I stuck with it. <clears throat> yeah. So, um yeah, it's really difficult for people to talk about their trauma. Um and we can't talk through things that we don't remember or that are repressed or that um we don't have insight to. Um so when we look at stages of change, um, that pre-contemplation stage kind of gets a bad rap for being in denial, but I can't know what I don't know. Um, and when my whole environment has supported some dysfunctional ways to cope, um, I, I wouldn't know. And so what we do through mind-body work is that we look at how we can calm that inner chaos and how we then can move into a more active and fulfilled life. I always find it so intriguing that we call it like mind body or like mental health or like, I don't know. I was having a discussion with my husband the other day about like, is it more, is it, is it less stigmatizing if we say holistic health and wellness rather than holistic mental health? And I'm like, but your brains and like it just drives me wild that we separate these things, right? Because your brain is an organ. Absolutely. And everything within your body it is physical. So like the separation of the two just always perplexes me. Kelsey, what yeah. were you gonna say? Oh no, I was something similar because I I whenever I work with my my own clients and my own practice, like where I always start first is the body. Like if I know which Anybody who knows me, most of my caseload is individuals who have experienced, you know, early, early like early childhood or what we call developmental trauma. Um, and where I immediately start is re-regulating the body. And then and they're like, what does that even mean? And I'm like, well, I can teach you. But like, <laughs> it, they immediately think that they're coming into like, okay, here's here's these concrete thoughts that I'm having. And. I have to like judge them and shame them and all of, and I don't know why I'm having them. And I'm like, no, no, like we have to, we have to start some somewhere totally different first. And I feel like they don't always expect that to go straight to the body. Like, so similar, Amanda, that's just what my thought was. Like they are literally the same within the same, you know, we're all connected in our body and one literally creates a feedback loop for the other. And it, and I think that it's really interesting because, Amanda, with your medical background, you know, I know you always bring in really great, like, examples of, like, if somebody had diabetes or somebody had heart disease, like, we wouldn't shame them for needing the health care, you know, or the intervention or the medication, yet for some reason um, there is this moralistic attachment to mental health like we can't just pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and even for someone who might have heart disease because they didn't eat the best diet they're they're most likely not shamed for those choices like somebody who used substances right to cope with life experiences and so it's just so interesting. You're right. This probably could be a whole topic in and of itself on, you know, the stigma of the difference of why that separation is there um, in in a personal view, um, which I think, Amanda, you probably agree. It's because of um, our <clears throat> medical industry and you can't make money off of healing um holistically yeah, you can't make money off of healthy people <laughs> yeah and you can't yeah absolutely kelsey you can't make money off healthy people um i know i was i was actually i'm doing the the pessy um the body keeps the score training with um Bessel and um that that's like within the first five minutes of the opening statements like he had already said that you know and and even had brought into the conversation which of course I shared with Amanda if you're not doing yoga you're not doing trauma therapy 
And I'm just like, oh, total mind blow. Like, of course, like, and again, finding things for myself that are complete in alignment and, and even kind of like what Kimberly was talking about, the, the niche of each of our desires to give therapy to people, right? So. I love that so much because you just think, I don't know. It, we all have this drive to do what we do. And like, yeah, like you said, that could be a whole episode on preventative wellness. And, and honestly, I would be intrigued if I was more of a research mind or like actually went and got my doctorate and wanted to do that sort of thing, like traveling to other countries and experiencing their healthcare systems or their wellness systems, right? And just seeing how that looks and how it impacts the people. Well, Kelsey, you said you um, work with people with developmental trauma, right? And so like, and not not to get too far off topic, but when we look in comparison with other countries that offer that support postnatal to the mother, to the child, and, you know, we talked uh, with the root chakra, um, those crucial moments of where attachment is formed and where safety and security is formed, that right there is a recipe for trauma when those attachments and secure um, safety measures can't, can't be connected. Absolutely. And whenever I teach my clients about like what, what is, and I do consultations, like long story short, but on the consultation, you know, that we'll talk about in just very vague detail, their trauma, if they are comfortable doing that, just so I have an idea if that it's the type of trauma that's in my wheelhouse. And, um, when we get into sessions and things and we start talking about how early on those ruptures started happening, it's, it's fascinating. They were like, well, that, and you can see it, you're making it make sense for them. They're like, holy cow, like. you know, anything that makes us feel unsafe is trauma. And so as, as we have, I think, talked in other episodes, and I know that you've talked about this with other guests, is that, you know, people don't realize what they experienced was trauma. And so then it's like, well, I know that something's wrong, but I can't quite put my finger on it. And so that's where, you know, we step in to say, okay, either by family systems or doing inner child work, um, we're able to kind of help peel back some of those layers and look at how trauma affects all of us, you know, and the ripple effects of that. Yeah. It's something so powerful that I heard and I carry with me now, like just for my own healing, but also for others is that it's all trauma isn't about necessarily, it doesn't have to be what happened to you, but what didn't happen to you as well. Right. So like, you know, I know Ace, Lisa's a big aces nerd. <laughs> so like, you know, the things that you didn't have and also the emotional attachments that you didn't have. Um, so I just had, wanted to make that point too. Yeah. Okay. I know we could talk about this yeah. all day long, but let's get into the sacral. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and I just want to remind that, you know, we're talking about the differences between top down regulation so where we are using meditation and mindfulness and yoga and then the bottom up where we're using um, breath, movement, touch. And so when we're able to stimulate our nervous system and the vagus nerve, right? So the vagus nerve runs along, you know, the midline of the body and so do all the vortexes of the chakras. And so that is where this mind-body connection comes to play um, and how all of these scientific uh, evidence-based examples come into this um, holistic approach, you know? Um, thinking about, and, and I know the last time, you know, we did make, 
make sure to mention, you know, we recognize that Maslow's hierarchy of needs is, um, you know, a variation of indigenous um, people. And he took that and kind of westernized that as well. And so, you know, we have these concepts where they've been whitewashed really you know and so you know we have to you know honor that as well and and to say and i think amanda you had said uh, during our last session it doesn't matter in what order they are we have human needs right so we have a need for connection we have a need to feel safe we have a need for food clothing and shelter um <clears throat> and different communities offer those needs in different orders and they put yeah, um, preference on that, but we are looking at the developmental stages and, you know, we talked about um, autonomy versus shame last time and we talked about trust and mistrust um, and today we're going to talk about initiative versus guilt and how this relates to the sacral chakra because this is all about how we learn how to relate to other people and relationship and sexuality and intimacy is held in the sacral chakra. And so I do want to say, you know, this could be a trigger for some people um, talking about, um, you know, sexual abuse as a child and where that could have 100% disrupted um, this wheelhouse um, <clears throat> for the opportunity to have appropriate attachment to self and then to others when it comes to sexuality, right? And as I see Amanda is wearing her, we are all human and I have, you know, a little pride hearts shirt on today, you know, to take that into consideration. Oh, Kelsey too, yes. And that, you know, again, offering <clears throat> treatment that is inclusive and recognizing that these stages of development are part of this process where, you know, somebody doesn't feel as though that they fit into their body and they have a sense of guilt and they have doubt and shame. And this is all developed in that age group of three to five years old. You know, that's that's when kids actually come in to recognize their genitalia and what that looks like and how that looks like in comparison to others. And so, again, if we kind of just think about that separate of, you know, what some of our clients might experience and the trauma, you know, if you're a parent and you don't know that masturbation and exploration of self at this age is appropriate and normal, how does that look? You know, what is the shaming process of that? And the, like we've said a million times, but us, you know, three, as we sit here, we know, you know, Eric and Eric's in stages of development and things, but I feel like to some other people, that information right there, that age and talking about sexuality and that age, I feel like is just so stigmatized. And it's like, naturally shamed in a household like it's one of the biggest cycles I feel like amongst many that needs to be broken and that way we have a safe space for these generations to be aligned with themselves basically but hearing that like we know that but saying that that age and what's appropriate there I've seen in a lot of my work I don't work with younger kids but I work with teens and talking with their parents and I work a lot with, you know, LGBTQ plus teens. So yeah. see a lot of this. And when you tell you, I've seen the, the reactions when you tell them like, no, like this is something that's been, it's not a choice. It's not, they're not, this is a, a symptom of impacted attachment and development. You know, the sexuality, the, the symptoms they're having that, you know, they're coming to treatment for and really struggling with. Yeah, and I think you bring up a really great point, Kelsey, because like when our <clears throat> when our teens, right, are experimenting with sexuality and parents find them either doing it to self or maybe even, you know, having partners at, at that point in time, you know, the closed 
uh, conversations or the rejection or the shame that might be put on that um, is, is probably a lot more overt. Whereas, you know, if you find your small child doing some of those things, it's like, you know, much more shaming because they're, they're not even able to verbally talk about like why touching themselves feel good. Right. It's, it's part of that automatic response that we have as, as uh, human beings. <clears throat> so what is the sacral ch chakra? Chakra. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? So that is in our, that is the first guilt stage. That is what else is that responsible for? So it is <clears throat> located right below our belly button, like right at the lumbar spine. Um, and it is responsible for the ability to find enjoyment in hobbies, uh, to create loving and exciting relationships, to also have creativity in lovemaking and also um, like sexual eroticism. Um, you know, one of the things that is problematic, again, in this um, chakra is our culture, right? So think about, again, we can use little kids um, that are sexualized. Um, you know, you can't wear tank tops at <clears throat> school because sharing your shoulders is too sexy, right? Or your shorts have to be a certain length. Otherwise, you're distracting to other people. And so when you think about culturally, what does that do when either you have to be sexy as a woman and you have to look a certain way in order to be deemed attractive, but then you can't be too sexy because then we are making it easier for other people to maybe be predators, right? Either way, yeah, or gets placed on, on the child or, you know, the, we know it's, you know, it's not, I don't want to talk in generalized terms, but as women, all three women here, I think we can speak to that and mm -hmm. get on the topic of dress codes. It just gets me all fired up. So I'll just stop talking. So. <clears throat> Well, it's like a tightrope you're walking, right? It's like, yes. Okay, I have to look attractive, but not too attractive because then the attention's going to get called out to me and that's uncomfortable. And if I complain about the attention, it's still my fault because I shouldn't have dressed this way. But if I dressed the other way, then I would have been shamed for that. And mm -hmm. oh, also, I have to shave every inch of my body, you know, just like. So yeah. many things go along with that. And then I think back to like LGBTQ plus population, like we were just talking about, you know, I don't even feel comfortable in my own body or maybe I identify as gender nonconforming, non-binary, but society looks at me and they say, you're a woman. Mm -hmm. So why aren't you dressing like a woman? And now my parents are like, why aren't you wearing tight fitting clothes? Or why, why don't you, you know, why are you wearing all these baggy shirts? Or why don't you, you know, put some makeup on or there's so much stigma and expectation around that. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I check myself when I'm out in public and like, I can remember recently, like my husband and I were out and we were at a restaurant and a woman had like on like a mesh, like see-through bodysuit. And let me just tell you, she looked banging, but like my initial reaction was like, Hmm, that's an interesting outfit to wear on a Sunday afternoon. And I was like, why, why am I thinking that? And it's because, you know, our culture, society conditions us, especially, you know, get me on the topic of women against women, but like, there was no reason for me to have those negative ideas about her. And yeah, so I just, it, it's culturally very triggering uh, of the sacral shock chakra um pornography um also again kind of looks at how it exaggerates what healthy sex is or what sex expectation should be and so then when we find people who have addictions to porn um that is rooted in the sacral chakra um 
And, and honestly, like as we continue to go through all of the chakras, there is no amount of trauma that only affects one. Right. And so like it, it's a tragedy to the body. It's a tragedy to the mind and it, it's, takes away our power trauma takes away our power and so that's why we you know come in and do the healing um so that we can learn how to have healthy partnerships outside of our family and i know kelsey you do a lot of family work and looking at the dynamics of family um how to be creative so again think about developmentally where that creativity gets shut down as a little kid, where we stop talking to our imaginary friends, where that play becomes more structured and it's not, here's, you know, a drawing of a half of this animal and a half of that animal or makeup animals and things. You know, when I work with my little kids, Sometimes they draw things that don't even exist, you know, and they make things up. So <clears throat> where <clears throat> where are we shutting down that creativity as well? That makes me think of, uh, I'm not sure if you listened yet, but the Man Down episode with Jason, when he was talking about mathletes and chess. But that wasn't the cool thing. But that's what he loved. He loved math. He loved chess, right? And and even in that episode, I said, I'm over here with my heart like poor little Jason, little inner child Jason got shut down and said, math isn't cool. Chess isn't cool. Go toughen up and play football. Yeah. And yeah. I see that so often in my adults, right? And I know, like, oftentimes we don't want to believe that stuff like this goes back to our childhood when we're in our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, right? But it's like, when's the first time when you were told you weren't allowed to do that? And why can't you do that now? What is so wrong with that, you know? Yeah. It's <clears throat> it's interesting because it kind of, you just kind of made me think of, I have a really good friend who um, is a dancer and owned her own dance studio. And so, of course, all of her children were in dance and, you know, her sons were in dance and the negative, you know, stereotypes about boys who go to dance. But I'll tell you, as a woman, don't we want a good dance partner, <laughs> right? When we go to weddings and we're coming up in college and, and going to parties and, and having those types of social exper- experiences. It's like, well, we want somebody who knows how to dance. Well, how, how are they going to learn how to dance, you know? Um, and, and it's just really interesting on how society really does oppress what we should be. And it fits us only into these binary things. And life is not binary. And, and I just appreciate being a part of this time where, you know, these next generations are showing that life is not binary at all. So what are other examples of where your sacral chakra looks, it might look in online, like where does it present where it's in alignment or verse or out of alignment? What are are other examples? Yeah. So we go from looking at like obeying community and faith and authority. And so again, when we are looking at that, um, that's developmental, right? So during that stage, so are we able to look into those community connections? Do we have a healthy ego so that we can not sell ourselves short, right? So codependency really huge in here. Um, and when um, Eric, Erickson actually says um, the mastery of the stages leads to ego strength. So healthy ego means that we have been able to process each of these stages um, in order to have that strength. And so then when we have, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, out of balanced chakras, who, who do we turn to? What do we do when our family unit is not healthy or not functional um, and that lack of support? So 
kind of like the premise and what Maslow put in the hierarchy of needs is that we kind of need to have a healthy level in order to get to the next one. The same idea is with chakras as well. Not to say that, you know, if, if you're feeling out of sorts with your root chakra, that everything else is not going to be in alignment. But when we do this mind-body healing, if I can't feel safe and grounded, then all of the rest of the things aren't going to come into alignment either. So it is kind of a building block of self-actualization and reaching the knowing part of, you know, the crown chakra when we, when we get to there. Um, Again, kind of looking at um, during that developmental stage and then also as adults, how do we form friendships? You know, why is it the older we get, the harder it is to make friends? I, you bring that up and I think it's one of those things. Well, I know with pandemic is a obvious factor, um, you know, with where we've been the over a year now, but my adult clients and I've, I've been doing a ton of work lately with like coming, I guess we can say coming out of the pandemic, kind of transitioning, you know, kind of in a different stage of things. I'm having a lot of my adult clients really struggling with like loneliness and having those friendships and their own version of like creativity and and different things as far as feeling that connection with other people. So as soon as you said that, I was like, because I've been looking for support groups for a couple of people. And I know that Bumble has like an app now, but it's only for like friends, you know, to meet friends as adults and any ways that I, that's a big theme that I'm noticing, you know, a lot lately in my work. So it makes sense. And just like a, a large level, like social anxiety coming out of the pandemic too. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, like even myself, like I've never been a person that felt Thanks, Sam. Felt a level of social anxiety, like, you know, to a clinical level, but going to, like, a grocery store, going to, like, a bigger situation now, I'm, like, oh, way overstimulated. Like, I don't know how to talk to people. Like, I just kind of want to run back home. Do I even want to go to begin with, right? And so, yeah, I think that's a really good point to make is how do these other outside external factors impact our ability to reach those stages, Outside of a pandemic, you know, thinking low socioeconomic status, thinking of impoverished neighborhoods and um, systemic racism and oppression, like how do those other factors then impact our ability to have healthy development of our chakras? Yeah. And so, like, where the self-reflection at this sacral chakra would be, how do we allow ourselves to experience pleasure? You know, for a lot of our clients and people with trauma, pleasure is something that is difficult to really thoroughly enjoy. Even just saying, how do we allow ourselves to experience pleasure? I think I'm a little further along, so it's not as like to me, but there's a level of like icky, like I'm not allowed or like pleasure like that's like that's too that's too much of a word like you can't say that right you know and even if it's not sexual even if it's just you know childish enjoyment of coloring on sidewalk talk on your driveway as an adult right like but saying how do I allow myself to experience pleasure living in 2021 American culture feels like I'm not allowed to it's like, it's, I feel like it's on extremes in our culture, almost like regardless, it's stigmatized. It's not a positive, um, you know, feeling or attachment to it. But it's like, because I feel like we see the opposite extreme where people, I don't know if you want to call it overindulge or addiction or different things, because I feel like it was always squashed down for us for so long. And we've been deprived of these, you know, needs and they've been unmet. And then we have so many other factors with substance use. It's just like a example, but 
because we have that like that shame and then we start to carry that shame and then and then if we add in the isolation if I'm struggling with building healthy connections with others that just sounds like a recipe for a disaster yeah yeah the opposite of addiction is connection yes yes and and to me it's it's very much like pulling back the rubber band the rubber band can only take so much before it snaps and breaks or before it gets propelled and it's and it's a forceful propel right it's not a very gentle glide like maybe like a paper airplane but it, it is a very forceful propelling um <clears throat> you know what what do you do to be creative right so like when we're working our 40 hour a week job when we're fulfilling the roles of maybe being a partner or maybe being a parent or being a caretaker for a family member how do we allow ourselves to be creative because creativity is part of vulnerability you know gotta sneak in my Brene Brown there but um how are we able to be creative does that mean like Amanda will say I pull out my you know adult coloring books and I'm coloring you know alongside of somebody as we're in session or you know are we doing macrame or vision boards and you know plants I know Kelsey you love plants and so you're creative through plants and you know how do we embrace creativity and I know we all have clients that have it sometimes it takes them a little further in therapy to find it or re-engage in it but the the amount of things I've learned about from my clients as far as like creative outlets I was like what's that they like say what? it in passing almost like they'll gloss over and I'm like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. you have a whole room in your house where you like paint and you watch I have a I have a confidentiality this individual has a room in their house and they will watch and paint along with Bob Ross oh that is amazing even just like when I met Kelsey and she's like yeah you know uh the the summer gets busy because we're gone every week doing truck pools and she's just like roll I'm like a what What is that right (laughs) like the amount of things I've and and other people might not even you know care to ask or might be like that's weird and shame it again even as an adult so if we started to explore it again now we're like you're right maybe I shouldn't be doing that I am too old for that or whatever it is yeah also my adult clients and like um well not even well I don't know maybe that's not relevant here as I start to make the statement but if they have things that are creative for them, the automatic like expectations or like that they put on it, like it has to have a final product or I need to sell it or I need, and I'm like, why? That performance. Yeah. Yeah. It's and we talked process, about that. Not the yeah, and talk, yeah. And we talked about that with the root chakra of the needing to be seen and heard through performance, right? And and the other part of this creativity is how often do we do it? So, you know, I I might like to paint or I might like to garden, but if I only do it infrequently, you know, how is that fulfilling in that need and that that ability to create and be out you know be outside of ourselves without being external you know with relationships or substances or food or other things right yeah I think it goes back to that balance of like okay I need to make sure that I engage in something creative often because it's healthy for me and it's great for my emotional regulation and my body and my spirit and all those things. And at the same time, like Kelsey was saying, I don't need to make it so rigid that now I don't even enjoy it anymore. So I think, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but one of the boundaries, like I break, or one of the the expectations I break down with my clients, like just at like a very uh, concrete level is like journaling. 
I'll recommend it over and over and over and over and over again. And they'll say they want to. So obviously I'll keep checking in, but then it just doesn't happen. Or like they'll start to, but then they give up. And when you break it down, it's like they have this expectation that they have to do it every single day. And it has to be neatly written, well-formed sentences into a paragraph. It's like a freaking essay that you did in school or something. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, hold on a second. Now you're taking all the purpose out of it. The purpose of it was for you to channel your emotions and be creative and release all that negative energy and blah, blah, blah. And when I say, did you know that you could just, like, scribble some little drawings? Or you could just, like put some random phrases that don't even go into a sentence or, you know, like if I give them other ideas, they're like, Oh, that's journaling. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stop being so hard on yourself. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, <clears throat> this very uncomfortable thing that we were talking about before is how do you practice being sensual? You know, do you, do that in the shower when you're alone? Do you, you know, turn on the the sensual type of music, whatever you d- desire that to be, while you're doing the dishes? You know, are you dancing around with the broom when you're, you know, mop, mopping or sweeping the floor? You know, how do you bring out the sensual side of yourself? You know, is it through exploration of your partner? Um, is it a mutual exploration? Um... A lot of times I think that can be in creative expression too, right? Like you were saying dance, mm-hmm. you know, like a lot of people, like, I think, I know recently it's become more popular to do like pole dance classes or yeah. like even certain types of yoga or dance classes or, um, more like Eastern, um, type of dance uh why can't I think of the word right now like belly dancing or um even just like when I've been at festivals and seen girls like hula hooping like getting your hips going right you know just like anything to bring or even artwork like expressing your sensuality through artwork I have clients that'll that are working on understanding their gender slash sexual identity and they can channel that through their artwork and you know there's so many different ways it doesn't just have to be sex (laughs) Yeah. That sensuality. Even it's like I'm wearing I wear clothing that makes me feel good. We still feel like even behind closed doors, there's still shame. It's like I'm expected to only do these things behind closed doors. And then if I wear something that makes me feel sexy or something out in public, like then we have shame, but then I'm still carrying that behind closed doors a lot of the time too. It's like I don't have that that free flowing outlet for, for that part of myself. I don't feel like it'd be hard to find until, you know, for many people. And then, you know, I had kind of talked a little bit about it before, but do, do you have codependent relationships, you know, and what does that codependency look like and how does it create harms or barriers to functional relationships or functional living, right? So for our audience, you know, we talk the, these, this uh, terminology all day long. What's a working definition or examples we can give for people of what, how, how would I know if I'm in a codependent relationship? So um, that's a great question. So the way that I would define that in this moment is a relationship where my worth is dependent on how someone else views or sees me. And that when we talk about boundaries, um, there's no clear boundary. And that if we looked at two circles, they kind of overlap each other as opposed to connect at the outer ring. Um, that would be my definition if that works. Yeah, no, sorry. I know I was putting you on the spot, but <laughs> uh, I've had people that um, along, you know, I know Kelsey works with uh, borderline personality disorder often. And so in that realm, I've had uh, talks with clients 
about when they get into a romantic relationship and it's like, but I want, and I want, and I need this and I need that. And I need this. And we forget that there's two unique separate identity individuals that have joined together in this relationship. And just because we've joined together doesn't mean we both don't have those same unique needs and wants and desires and dreams and goals and all of those things. Kelsey, anything else to add as far as like what codependency looks like? Oh yeah, I can go. <laughs> I can go on and on. And it's I love having these conversations with my clients because well, teach you know what is codependency, and of course, but as they're talking, obviously, I'm not going to look at somebody and and just um and label. I'm going to help them come to that realization for themselves, but um. I see a lot of like what we call in our field enmeshment, like almost like I need to show up because they don't have that safety within themselves. So it's like I have to show up in the world being what's where we can see a lot of people pleasing or I don't know who I am as broad as that sounds, but I don't have that. I don't have this alignment. I don't have that safety or trust for myself, that self-worth. So then it's like I'm I'm just almost like a chameleon I'm just what do I need to do to either to stay safe really because yeah. uh, this isn't a BPD uh, podcast but it's a lot it's emotional reactivity and a lack of um, all sorts of safety it's like yeah. with codependency that forms because it our brain thinks that it feels safe yeah that we can't have other enjoyment interdependent right because that's that's the goal is the interdependence is that we want to have yeah yeah and and, you know i see that a lot um with clients who are in recovery and their significant others don't understand why going to 12-step meetings is important or why going to gender specific or specific type of 12-step meetings um and so they can feel very much um, threatened by that. Um, <clears throat> it, as you were talking, Kelsey, it kind of reminded me, and I don't remember the movie, but it was a Julia Roberts movie where, like, it goes through. It's like a rom-com where she's, like, every new boyfriend she had, she always liked whatever kind of eggs that they liked. And, like, there comes a point in time in the m- movie where she's like, I don't even know what kind of eggs I like. Because I've only ever liked, like, what my significant other liked. And, yeah, yeah. So, codependency. We, we all do it and, it, and we work through it. And that's the important part is to establish those healthy boundaries through that. Yeah, it's like a disconnection with your inner self. You're, like, <laughs> external to yourself. And everything is dependent upon what's going on out here. Like Kelsey said, it's not safe to be in here for whatever reason. Yeah. yeah. So I know last time, Lisa, you talked about like the the specific way yeah. you feel the root chakra. Do you have that for? I, I do. So when we are out of alignment, and here are some more specific things that um, come. If you think about again, belly button, um, sacral chakra, um, the lumbar area, chronic low back pain ovarian cysts, uh, chronic urinary tract infections, um, pain during intercourse. You could have complications with your bladder or kidneys, um, a lack of sex, a lack of interest in sex altogether. Um, And then the more emotional part would be um, depression low self-esteem, insecurity, detachment, jealousy, fear, mania or manic episodes can come out of the sacral chakra. Um, so lots lots of things there, but never fear. Um, there's always a way to bring things in balance. Um, the sacral chakra is actually... Um, related to the water element. So taking a bath 
going swimming, being around lakes or bodies of water um, is a really great way to heal and come into alignment. Um, that's just one way. I bet um, you can see sacral chakras so in alignment. It's water. water. I'm. I just like. I'm like. Please. I got like a tattoo with like sun and water and the moon. But like, it's my jam, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um. The last time I talked about mudras. So these are like positions that you can use your hands. And so, this one is a really easy one where you can sit with your hands um, in your lap. Both palms are facing up. So you're left hand is on the bottom and your right hand is resting in the palm of your left hand and you're going to bring your thumbs to touch so it's kind of like you're cradling like a little egg there and if you you want your thumbs to touch and so um if you sit in meditation here this will activate the sacral chakra yoga poses um, basically anything that is going to be a hip opener or going to strengthen your pelvic floor. Um, but some of my favorites are bridge pose, which is um, <clears throat> where you're lying on your back and your feet are flat on the floor and your knees are stacked over your feet and you kind of just lift your hips up off the ground. Um, so up to about mid back or so, depending on your flexibility. Um, so that's not like when I was a little kid doing bridges and gymnastics, that's not like hands too. Oh, it could be. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was going to say you could go into full bridge pose if you wanted to, for sure. And we call that wheel. Um, but then you could also do a modification where, um, you can stick a block or a bolster underneath, um, your hips and have that supported there if maybe strength or flexibility is difficult um which i'm i'm into the ooey gooey um yin uh restorative kinds of yogas where you're going to find longer periods of time into a yoga pose where you would use some um assistance like blocks or bolsters in a pose like this for sure um another one of my favorites is pigeon so your your legs are going to kind of look like a number seven like on the floor so um most of the times we come into this pose through down dog um and so your knee and foot are going to come into alignment with the hands um in front of you and so it's kind of like a modified version of splits. And this is a really great pose to work on if you're trying to achieve splits. Um, and then here you can absolutely use uh, bolsters, blocks to make this pose uh, comfortable if you are tight in the hips. Um, and then ultimately <clears throat> being able to maybe forward fold over the front foot to reach the maximum um, um, stretch in this uh, pose. And then my other favorite, that's which I actually- my, Lisa, that's one of my pelvic floor exercises from my pelvic floor specialist for my pregnancy. And I love that pose and I've even had a husband doing it too. And he's like, oh God, how do you get your leg up that high? But as my belly gets bigger, <laughs> it's getting harder and harder and I'm like, Okay, not only do I need, like, a block on my hip, but now I need, like, a pillow under my belly or something. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm still going strong. I'm still doing it every day. I love that pose. It, like, man, if audience, Kelsey, if you've never tried a pigeon pose, it feels so good. It takes a minute to get used to it, but it feels so good as far as, like, opening up your hips. Well, my favorite is frog, and I'm going to talk about half frog. Um, as far as like a hip opener, so it kind of is what it sounds like. Your legs are um, splayed out kind of like a frog. Now, for those people who may have experienced um, sexual trauma, this might be something that might be too sensitive for them. So again, when we look at poses, 
um, through yoga, through that mind-body healing, we want to make sure that we're not um, instigating any trauma responses. We want to promote healing. Um, but I actually will find that I sleep in half frog. Um, so it's um, you're going to be on your belly, and you're going to bring your knee to about 90 degrees out from the hip. Um, and then you're going to flex both feet and you can have your arms over your head or you can kind of use them underneath your chin as a pillow. Uh, but I love half, like I could just hang out there all day. Um, I know our, uh, podcast listeners can't see, but next time we're good for our YouTube watchers, we're going to have to have you be in a space where you can like show us these poses. You know what? I definitely would be down for that. That would be, that would be really fun for sure. I have like the urge to do them as we're talking. Like my body's like, well, do it, do it. I'm like, I'm sitting in this chair. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I definitely feel like I got to do it to make sure I'm describing it right. But yeah, no, we're good. We're good. Um, Yeah, I just can't. Yeah, there's all kinds of things. And and that's the thing, too, is like you do what your body feels good. Like, Amanda, you were saying, you know, uh, my belly is getting a little too big, but I'm going for it for as long as I can. And, you know, all the props that help, um, you know, and sometimes in yoga, people think, oh, well, I'm I'm not good at yoga because I use props and and it's actually the opposite is true. Um, So, but mantras, I know um, you guys usually end um, with mantras uh, or ask somebody to give mantras. So we're kind of getting to that point as well. But um, question, Lisa, I'm sorry. I I was trying to interrupt you and I didn't unmute. I don't want to squirrel off on a tangent too much, but just because you mentioned you're trauma-informed, so you mentioned this without a second guess about it. How would someone that's, like, looking to get into yoga or practice yoga or go to a studio, mm-hmm. how can they find a studio that's trauma-informed or make sure, like, what things can they do to make sure that they're not going to activate any sexual trauma responses or things like that? That is an amazing question. Um, So most of the studios that I go to in the general area of Akron are pretty trauma-informed. I actually know many social workers that are also uh, yoga teachers as well. Uh, One of the things that, uh, again, many of the yoga studios that I go to, they use like consent cards. So you can have um, it flipped up if for a yes, if you want hands-on assistant, or you can flip it over and it says no, and then it there won't be any hands-on assistance, so that's one way. And then the other thing is you can talk to that yoga instructor if um, if you know them, and you know just say, hey, um, what would be some other ways to kind of work through this? Um, another thing is. Uh, most of the yoga teachers that I go to, uh, part of that trauma-informed is that this is your practice. They'll say something along the lines of this is your practice. You do what feels right for you in your body, and no body is the same. And so it offers you the space to practice however you want to practice. And I will say probably more so since becoming a a yoga teacher, um, I am more... Um, more confident in not doing exactly what the teacher says. Um, So I I know where that comes from of being like, oh, I have to do exactly like what the teacher says and the way that the teacher says it. And and actually, um, a lot of teachers do offer many different modifications. Thanks. I appreciate you saying that because you just like it just rattled off your mouth like and then this is frog pose. But if you have any sexual trauma, that can be triggering. And I was like, oh, how would somebody know that? Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. Um, So mantras. um, We are going to have um, the I feel right. So a lot of feeling in this chakra. Um, So something that you could say is I accept and embrace and celebrate my body. Um, I honor my natural sexuality. Uh, My body is a masterpiece. I honor my own divine sensuality. 
I am grateful for the body which supports and empowers me. I just, I just love that one. I love that one too, especially for, like I mentioned earlier, or even just people that aren't comfortable or having like any sort of body dysmorphia, right? It wouldn't necessarily have to be like gender related, but anyone that's feeling discomfort in their own body, I often go to like the functionality of your body mm-hmm. rather than the aesthetic of it. Yeah. What has your body done for you? Your body's gotten you to this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I had gone to a woman's um, workshop at the Gestalt Institute. And one of the things that the uh, ladies in the workshop had shared, and I just love, she said when she applies her lotion, she will say kind things like, my legs are strong and they carry me for like, she had like this whole different thing for each body part, but it was just so like moving to like, yeah, I'm not, I'm just over here slapping on some lotion so that I can hurry up and get dressed or move on to my next thing. And she's got this whole like process. Right. And so like taking time to be grateful for how our body supports and empowers us could be just, as simple as putting on some lotion. Yeah. Um, foods. So Amanda and I have talked about foods before, uh, but foods that are fatty. Uh, so, f- excuse me, <clears throat> fish, nuts, seeds, um, anything that is orange, because the color orange is associated with the sacral chakra. Um Apricots, mangoes, papayas, all yummy, yummy stuff. Um, And then a couple essential oils. Uh, Patchouli, which is probably, I think, most everybody uh, knows or has smelled uh, patchouli before. uh, But it is known for its musky and deep scent. Um, It is one of the most effective aphrodisiacs. Um, and it can assist with sexual issues, um, and interest in sex. So, um, it is also an excellent, um, uh, antidepressant, um, an uplifting mood for relaxation. Um, if you're looking for the hippie or the yogi in the room, just follow the patchouli. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, and I think I, I'm saying it wrong. Is it yang, 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 Yeah. I never, I never can say that right, but that thank you for saying great say- for sexual energy. Oh, I love this scent. Um, I love patchouli too, but I love this scent. Um, it's also, um, known for its sweet and fresh scent. Um, it's one of the oldest known uh, oils for antidepressants. Um, it can bring about feelings of excitement, joy, and happiness. Um, is releasing stress and is also an aphrodisiac. Those, um, like for people that don't necessarily use oils or like wanted a different application, you can get those as like incense or, um, The other one I'm thinking of is goldenrod, which is a very ancient one for sexual energy, too. Um, But I know even just, like, going to our local metaphysical store that we love so much, Lisa, um, they have, I've bought bought goldenrod, um, like, in its, what do you call that? Like, dried herb, dried herb form to burn, like, sage, right? So, yeah. you know, just different ways of applying. If you if you're more of like, oh, I kind of like incense to burn. You know, those are options too. Yeah. Oh, incense is yeah. Incense is amazing, and that place has the best incense ever. Um, <clears throat> and then some crystals is amber. Um, obviously, it's orange. Um, but a fun fact about amber is that it's not actually a crystal. It is. Um, tree resin that has become fossilized um so when you get amber you will have bits of insects or tree pieces in them as well um it um cleanses the environment 
and it helps draw away negative energy. It eases stress, aids in uh, depression, and it stimulates memory and decision making. Um, I have some amber in my house, so it's it's a great stone. Moonstone um, is has a blue white sheen to it. Um, one of the cool things about Moonstone is that it brings like the male and female parts of ourselves into balance. Um, so we all have a feminine and a masculine side to ourself. Um, so it can bring that into balance. Um, and it lessens emotional overreaction. So um, <clears throat> if you're feeling a little overreacting, maybe grab some Moonstone. Um, and I know, Amanda, you have, I think you have orange torlamine, don't you? I have orange calcite. Oh, okay. Orange calcite. Under my bed. I love that you know what crystals are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We talked just a little bit, right? <laughs> um, actually, orange torlamine, because I was going to say, I, um, this is actually a really rare uh, stone. Um, so it enhances creativity, intuition, and sexuality. So I was going to say, look at you having some rare stones over there. Yeah, no, I'm not that fancy. <laughs> oh, this is so good. I'm going, guess where I'm going today? Not just because of this episode, but because a uh, husband wants to go get some sage and Palo Santa. We're going. Uh, We're going to the Gypsy Grace. Love you, Gypsy Grace. Thank you for being yeah. amazing. Yeah. Lisa, thank you so thank much, you. as always. We're Another. so excited to continue this Another. series. So now we got root chakra, we got sacral chakra. Next time we'll be talking about the solar plexus, plexus right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Grow Your Path to Wellness. Our, like I said, our next uh, chakra trauma, those words back to back are hard, chakra trauma, yeah. no, healing trauma through the chakras series episode with Lisa will be on July 18th. Next week, though, we have another installment of our other series that runs each month, our Man Down Men's Mental Health, and we will be having my husband Tommy back again, and he is actually going to be welcoming one of his brothers, Dustin, so make sure you tune into that. And as always, feel free to leave us comments. If you have any feedback for us, we love to hear it. Subscribe, like, share with your friends and family. Thank Thanks, you. everyone. Take care. Have a good week. Bye. Bye.